Well, good morning. It is good to be in the Lord's house, isn't it? I'm going to, I had a birthday a few weeks ago, and um, so I'm going to wax nostalgic just a little bit since I'm getting old and uh, have all this gray hair and all that. Seth is kind of getting me jealous every once in a while. He walks in with that big old dark beard, and my beard is gray in the front, and yeah. But um, I want to talk to you today about something, and just to kind of set that up, I I pastored at Goshen um, a long time ago. I was 20 years old, so that was 28 years ago. And uh, it's amazing that they even let me do that, you know, some 20-year-old kid, and here you go. In fact, it kind of happened that way, too. I was preaching there about once a month, and uh, for the youth night. They'd have once a month youth night. And I'd go preach, and uh, Brother Tip Richardson was there, and I enjoyed that. I got to preach here every so often. Brother McAllister would always let me preach, and, and then into Larry. And so one Sunday night, I show up out there, and Brother Tip says, hey, we've been talking, and we've decided you're our new pastor. And I said, what? He says, yeah, we're going to vote on it. I said, what? I had no clue. And so I said, well, let me pray about that. And, and then a week later, I was the new pastor, and it seemed like it was that quick. And, uh, and you think about being a pastor at 20, you don't know a whole lot. You really don't. Not, not a lot about anything. You, you might know a little about the Bible. I grew up in church, of course. But you don't know anything really about life at 20, do you? Uh, those of us in here, how many of you could think to the 20-year-olds and say, man, they think they know it all, but they don't know. And, uh, and so, you know, what, what does a 20-year-old know about pastoring? You know, I was newly married and so what kind of marriage advice could I give? You know, Kathy and I had been together just not very long. Um, and yet there we were. What kind of advice could I give about parents that got children? Because we didn't have children then. You know, two years later, we had a baby. Uh, what could I give about teenagers? You know, how could I pastor somebody that had teenagers? Or, or how about someone going through a sickness or an illness? Back then, I, I was healthy as anything. I was skinnier, and, but I was healthy. Um, what did I know about death? I had never really experienced uh, that in, in life too much and never lost someone that close to me. Um, what do you know? And I think what's happened is through the years, we begin to experience these things. And I was thinking the other day that as we go through our life, we experience this. And we talked in Sunday school this morning, and Brother Kevin did a great job uh, about pastoring and how God gives the church pastors and that these pastors are to be there to mature the believer and as the believer matures, and that, that's accomplishing its thing. And I think, you know, the question was kind of posed is, when, when is it done? When do we stop? And the reality is, I think we keep pastoring our whole life. That there are things that we're going through at this stage in our life that part of pastoring is people watching how you go through those stages of life. I think part of pastoring is people being able to watch you as a pastor raise your children that people are able to watch you as a pastor go through lean times financially and how you handle that. That people are able to watch you as a pastor in your marriage and in your relationship, and they're able to see a leader there, and, and how, does, how does he handle that? How do they handle that? Um, how they handle sickness and adversity in their life, or how they handle death. And I don't think we ever stop pastoring and stop leading until the day that God takes us home. We mentioned in the Sunday school, Kevin mentioned his dad, Brother McAllister, and how that, you know, he never stopped serving the Lord. And he didn't until the day he died. He was preaching and he was witnessing. He had a visitation list. He'd come in here on Sunday morning and he'd say, I made my two visits yesterday. He had it down that every Saturday he'd make two visits. And he did that until the day he died. And even until he went into eternity, 
he would set an example for us. That's what it passed, and they lead through these things. And we think about all the terrible things in life, and, and I thought, man, I don't want to go through everything just so I can be an example to everybody, and Lord, hopefully I'll have mercy in some areas, but that's part of leading. And this morning I want to talk to you about a broken heart. And when we do that, I just want to let you know that I don't really know that my heart's ever really been that broken, not like some of you maybe have experienced. Um, I'm sure that it will be in time. But I want to talk to you about a broken heart. Have you ever had a broken heart, a truly broken heart? I ran across an article in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, It was an online edition from February of 2010, but the article fits the message that I want to bring you today. The article reads, Dorothy Lee and her husband of 40 years were driving home from a Bible study group one wintry night when their car suddenly hit the curb. Mrs. Lee looked at her husband, who was driving, and saw his head bob a couple of times and fall on his chest. In the ensuing minutes, Mrs. Lee recalls she managed to avoid a crash while stopping the car, called 911 on her cell phone, and tried to revive her husband before an ambulance arrived. But at the hospital, soon after learning her husband had died of a heart attack, Mrs. Lee's heart appeared to give out as well. She experienced sudden sharp pains in her chest, felt faint and unconscious and went unconscious. When doctors performed an x-ray angiogram, expecting to find and treat a blood clot that had caused Mrs. Lee's symptoms, they were surprised. There wasn't any evidence of a heart attack. Her coronary arteries were completely clear. Doctors eventually determined that Mrs. Lee had suffered from broken heart syndrome, a name given by doctors who observed that it seems to especially affect patients who had recently lost a spouse or other family member. The mysterious malady mimics heart attacks, but appears to have little connection with coronary artery disease. Instead, it is typically triggered by acute emotion or physical trauma that releases a surge of adrenaline that overwhelms the heart. The effect is to freeze much of the left ventricle, the heart's main pumping chamber, disrupting its ability to contract and effectively pump blood. The phenomenon is a concussion of the heart, says Scott Sharkey, a cardiologist in Minneapolis Heart Institute. It's really a heart attack which is triggered by stress rather than blocked artery, he says. Broken heart syndrome mimics a heart attack and is brought on by acute emotion or physical trauma. Here are some of the triggers that doctors say prompted patients to suffer the malady. The death of a spouse, a patient's dog caught in a raccoon (coughs) raccoon trap, that doesn't happen very often here, Losing large amounts of money in a casino. I hope that hasn't happened around here. (laughs) Getting lost while driving in an unsafe neighborhood at night. Trauma. Feeling overwhelmed by new computer software. Been there, done that. In addition to such common emotions as grief and anger, doctors say broken heart syndrome has been triggered by a person's anxiety over making a speech, a migraine headache, or emotional response to a surprise party. That would be some party, wouldn't it? Surprise, and they're out. It can be fatal on occasion, but for the most part, patients recover quickly with no lasting damage to their hearts. Mrs. Lee's heart was so weakened by her episode in 2005 that she nearly died. The 63-year-old required a special balloon pump to support her left ventricle during the first couple of days in the hospital. But Mrs. Lee, who runs her own clothing repair business in a Minneapolis suburb, was discharged within five days. Despite cautions by her doctor, she attended her husband's funeral a few days later, and she said, I was able to work through my grief both positively and spiritually. 
she says, I have no effects of the heart attack today. And so I wanted to share that because how many of us have ever had a broken heart? And we know that it's not just, you know, uh, a few tears, that it really is a kick in the stomach or in the chest, as we'd say. That it's a real thing, that it is pain, that it, it, it just knocks us off our feet. And here's an article from the Wall Street Journal that says it, it is so severe sometimes that it can cause physical damage and cause us to actually feel like that we're having a heart attack or actually having one that's just been brought on by these great emotions and the adrenaline in our bodies. Satan knows, doesn't he, exactly where to kick us. You ever had the wind knocked out of you before? Uh, that uh, scary feeling when all of a sudden you hit ground and you reach for breath and it's not there and you gasp and it's just a, a moment of panic. And I'm telling you, Satan knows that. And, and in, in, in my time of pastoring, there just seems like there's times when, man, there is victory and things are going well and everything's great in the church and people's lives are wonderful. And then there seems to be these spells of time where it seems that the devil is running around just punching everyone that he's breaking hearts, that he's causing us to be broken, and that we experience this, this brokenheartedness. There are weeks when we carry that. And, you know, the thing with us as Christians is, and part of the body of Christ is the Bible says, when one of us suffers, all the members suffer. That when we really care about somebody, that it is impossible for us to sit in church with them on Sunday and not look across the row and see somebody suffering from something and have it affect us. That when you look and you see someone that maybe is dealing with sickness, does that cause our hearts to be broken? I suggest it does. That when we look around and we see someone struggling for their, their very life because of sickness, it, it just weighs heavy on us. It gives us that broken heart. Or maybe it's death that has done that. That uh, we, we realize that, you know, the Bible teaches us that it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. And we know that every one of us are one day going to face death, unless the Lord returns, every one of us will face death. And so we know that that is a, a fact of life. And, you know, the truth is we do pretty well with funerals. Uh, the thing that breaks our heart more than anything else is not so much for the person in the ground or in the casket, but it is for those around whose hearts are broken. That I can pretty much walk up to a, a, a casket and, and see that person and, and have fond memories and, and do pretty well. But when I stand to, to give the message or to give the funeral and I hear the cries and I hear the sniffling of a wife or the children or, or, or the parent who's lost a child, it's then in their brokenheartedness that our compassion takes over and our hearts are broken. Our hearts are broken sometimes when we realize the financial struggles that people go through. You know, we somehow think in this world that we can fix everything. And even in the church sometimes I think we get the idea that, man, we can fix this. We can make sure no one struggles financially. But Jesus said in the scripture that we will always have the poor with us. That there are some who will always struggle through this life and, and it breaks our hearts. And that's not a bad thing. And then there's relationships. Family can break hearts, can't they? Maybe you're here and as an adult who has raised your children, and maybe your heart has been broken by your children before. If one of my kids turned out to be a Dodger fan, I would be brokenhearted. <laughs> but we watch our children sometimes, and, and they, they do things. And as they grow older, we can't just tell them what to do or make them do things. And how many of us have had our hearts broken by decisions maybe that our children have made? or paths that they've chosen to go down. 
Or maybe it's in the area of relationships. It seems like the last several weeks it's just been one after another of couples that are struggling to either keep things together or some that have just thrown the towel in and given up and they're heartbroken over it. And our hearts should break for that. But we experience broken hearts. But the Bible tells us that God cares for the brokenhearted. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 66 is where I want to, chapter 61 is where I want us to look at our text this morning. And here's what the prophet Isaiah said. And Jesus will later quote this in the New Testament. Isaiah 61 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So this idea of being brokenhearted, know for sure this, is that God cares about the brokenhearted. If you're here this morning and your heart is broken, your spirit is crushed, and and you are hurting inside, God cares for you. In fact, when you go through Scripture, it would be impossible in a Sunday morning sermon to give every reference that deals with the cries and broken heart and crushed spirits and all the things that the Bible talks about. It would be impossible to cover it today. But know for sure that God cares for you and your broken heart. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. And then he goes further and he says, To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And just kind of, if you mark in your Bible, underline that, that he may be glorified. Because ultimately in all of our suffering, that is the divine purpose in any of it is that God is glorified in everything we experience. That whatever it is you're going through right now, the desire in your heart should be to glorify God in the midst of this. Yes, it hurts. And yes, it's painful. And yes, I'm going through things that I'd rather not go through. But I want above everything else to glorify God in what I'm going through. If it's economic woes, if it's family woes, if it's physical woes, is God going to be glorified in this? If you're here and you're a young person, how many of us as teenagers in high school can remember why in the world am I going through this? Can't I skip this and move on to 21? Can't I move on to being an adult? And you wonder, why do I have to go through all of this? And teenager, you're not exempt from this. You're going through what you're going through in order to glorify God. And all how we need lighthouses in our schools. So he says that God may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And I love the fact that he ends this short little passage by talking about rebuilding. Because even though we have broken hearts, there's this promise of something good that's to come. This passage is ideally or literally talking about something in the Bible known as the year of Jubilee. In the Old Testament, according to the Jews, they would work their land and they would farm their land for six years. And every seventh year, they would have a year of rest. They'd take care of their crops for these six years. And on the seventh year, no more farming those particular lands. They'd rest them just like God created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. He set that example of a Sabbath for us. 
And so they would do this. And then after seven periods of this, so you'd have seven of these years, so a total of 49 years, that every seventh year they would rest, they'd have a 50th year. And the 50th year after the last of those Sabbaths was the year of Jubilee. And that was a year that was amazing. That was a year when restoration took place. That was a year when hope was restored. Because what had happened during the previous 50 years was all the heartaches and all the hurts and all the suffering and all the losses that had occurred in the year of Jubilee, those things were restored. If you had lost your land or you had been taken into slavery or if you had went into debt in the year of Jubilee, this was the time when you could be restored, when you could gather back the things that belonged to you, when you could be set free, when you could be given back the inheritance of your family. This was a special time. In fact, shortly before the year of Jubilee began, there was a day that would take place, a day of atonement. And on that day, they would sound the trumpets to announce that the year of Jubilee is coming. In fact, the name Jubilee itself comes from a Hebrew word that we get for a ram's horn. And so it is the ram's horns that would sound and announce this glorious day. And that's what he's literally describing here is that the day is coming. The day of the Lord's favor is coming. And at that time, he says, God is going to heal the sick. He's going to take care of the brokenhearted. He's going to take care of those who mourn. Everything is going to be made right in this year of Jubilee. In the New Testament, though, I think Christ probably does a better job of any preacher that has ever walked the face of this earth in really explaining that Isaiah passage. Because we look at him and say, wow, the year of Jubilee, that's awesome. But Jesus comes along in the New Testament in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, and he goes into the temple on the Sabbath. Being a teacher as he was, they presented him the opportunity to stand before the crowd and read that day. And so Jesus got up and he rolled out the scroll to a passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. And he began to read the very same passage we read this morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. He sent me to the brokenhearted. He sent me to those who mourn. Jesus reads this passage all the way up to the point that says, the year of the Lord or the year of the Lord's favor. And at that point, Jesus closes the scroll, and he goes and sits down. The shortest sermon he probably ever would preach. Just two verses. One and a half verses. Not a lot of commentary. Not a lot of his own words. Just simply read the scripture and sat down. And as you can imagine, if I had done that this morning, if I got up and read the scripture and said nothing else and went and sat down, some of you would shout, hallelujah, it's over. (laughs) But most of you would kind of stare at me and said, is this it? Is there something? And you'd look. And they looked at Jesus that day and they waited. And finally, Jesus spoke to them in Luke 4, 21. And it says, and he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what Jesus was announcing is, you know the year of Jubilee in the Old Testament? Jesus says, I've come to bring about Jubilee in the New Testament. I've come to restore to you that which has been taken. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to deal with those who mourn and give them joy and give them a crown and give them a a merry heart. Jesus was saying, this is the year of the Lord that has come to you. And it takes place in our lives when we receive Christ as our Savior. We enter that wonderful time of atonement when we're made right with God. This was an amazing thing that took place. But I want you to see from this passage of Scripture what's going on. Listen to what he says in the passage further. He says the passage speaks of Christ's healing. 
It says, to give to them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's the King James. And what he says is God's going to take and he's going to exchange some things. You may be dealing right now with the oil of of mourning. You may be coming in and mourning, but God says, I'm going to take that away from you, and I'm going to give you the oil of gladness. It was customary in those days that when you went into a celebration, you would take perfumed oil and that you would anoint the heads of the guests with that perfumed oil. But the scripture made it very clear that when there was a death or when there was mourning, that you were not to use that oil. This was not the occasion for it. And Christ comes and he says, I'm going to give you the oil of gladness in place of your mourning. That I can take the broken heart that mourns loss. And he says, I can anoint you or let my presence come over you in such a way that I can restore gladness to your heart. Amen. How many of us need that? There are times when we are so heavy and so broken. And what we need to do is run to this God that says, God, and say, God, give me that oil. God, anoint me with this this oil of gladness. Then he says, I'll give you the garment of praise in place of a faint spirit. I'll clothe you with a whole new you. I'm going to set you up for worship rather than mourning. Your weak spirit is going to be replaced with a strong spirit of rejoicing. Listen, God wants to do something in our lives. He says he'll give us a crown of glory rather than the ashes of mourning. God wants to do these things in our life. And then he says this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And there's a couple things there. These oaks of righteousness, they remind us of strength, don't they? These oaks, and in fact, in Psalms often refers to us being like trees planted by living water. And there's some stability in this in this. This morning we talked in Sunday school even about maturity and what is maturity and and how we handle things and how people get their feelings hurt. And and maturity says, I I may get my feelings hurt, but I'm going to handle it well. Maturity says, I'm going to go through some difficult times, but I'm going to be like this steady oak that is still here years and years from now. He says, our suffering is going to make us this way. And he says, ultimately, our goal is that God be glorified. Let me give you this morning, and again, there's no way we could cover this topic completely on a Sunday morning, but let me give you some things to remember when your heart is broken. The first is this. Remember when your heart is broken that the Lord is always near. The Lord is always near. It may feel like he's a million miles away. You may feel isolated. You may feel alone. And if that's how you feel, that's normal. That is the devil isolating you and pulling you off from everyone else and making you feel alone. But you are never alone. First and foremost, every one of us in this room are going to suffer things, and I can't claim to experience everything that you've experienced, but I guarantee you this, there will be someone in this church that has been through it. We've not all experienced the same things, but to collectively, you're not alone. And even if we've not experienced them, God has touched our hearts in such a way that we can have compassion for one another. Amen? That we can see others hurting, and we can know the great pain that they have, and we can feel for them. You are not alone. But most importantly, you're not alone because the Bible tells us that when, we're heart, when our hearts are broken, that God is very near to us. Listen to Psalms 34 and 18. Very clearly, he says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. 
Next time your heart is broken and next time your spirit is crushed, think of that verse and understand this. The Lord is near. He's close. He's watching every move you make. You ever gone into a store in the mall and had a sense that somebody was watching you and come to find out they were? There was a mall, there was a store in the mall in Fairfield that the girls would go to, Kayla especially, and and she'd go in there and the manager of this store would just follow them around like they were little thieves or something. And as a parent, it kind of offended me. But she'd be like right on their shoulder, just kind of right next to them. They'd take a ring off something and they'd, she'd watch them. And finally I went in and said, you know what? Because on the way out, she finally stopped them and searched their bags. I said, you know what? This is the last time we'll shop here. That's a bad feeling of having someone near to you. But it's the same nearness that God says, when you're going through the broken heart, I'm going to be all over you. When you're there and you're crying and you're all alone, God says, make no mistake, I'm right there. I'm right there. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed spirit. He evidenced this in John chapter 11, that he stays close to where those whose hearts are broken. Jesus had a dear friend, Lazarus, who died. And his family was broken over that. His sisters were, were broken and they were torn apart because of their death of their brother. And in verse 32 of John 11, it says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with him also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And it says that Jesus wept. And Jesus had intentionally delayed being there. When you read the previous verses, he waited on purpose before he went to show up. That he knew that Lazarus would be dead by the time that he got there. But he wanted to teach them something. And as he gets there, his heart is still broken. Even though he knows that he's about to call Lazarus from the dead, even though he's about ready to restore his life to him, his heart is still broken, partly because of the compassion he had for Mary and Martha, and partly because of the unbelieving heart of the people there that day. But we find that verse that we all love to memorize when we were kids. Teachers say, I'll give you a candy if you memorize a verse this week, and we come back with this John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all the Bible, right? But good things come in small packages, don't they? I'm so glad that this scripture says Jesus wept. Because he weeps with us too. He feels what we feel. He knows what we're going through. You and I are never alone. When our heart is broken, Christ is near. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was with the multitudes. And we see his heart once again in verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them. His heart was broken for them. He had feelings for them. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Don't forget that when you go through hard times, when you're brokenhearted, when your spirit is crushed, that God is very near. Secondly, don't forget that the Lord is aware of your broken heart. We pray 
and we cry out to him and we call out to him, but it is not surprising to him because he is already aware of our broken heart. In fact, in his omniscience, his all-knowing state, he knows exactly when we're going to hit those moments in in life where our hearts will be broken. That he actually prepares for us comfort and healing ahead of time. It always amazes me that when we have a broken heart, God has already done something to put the right people around us to see us through that. That maybe he brought you to church just in time to surround yourself with a body of believers to get you through a particularly difficult time in life. He knows. He's aware of our broken heart. Psalms 56 and 8, he says, You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle, and they are they not in your book. What the psalmist is saying is God is very aware of the tossings and turnings in my sleep when I'm troubled. And he says further that he takes every one of my tears and puts them in a bottle. He's pretty aware of our broken heart, isn't he? And he records them all in a book. God is aware. Jeremiah 9 and 1, listen to the prophet speak. He says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. And Jeremiah gives us this this passage that really says it's okay to cry. That it's okay to let our heart weep, to let our, to, to let our emotion, it is okay to have these feelings. Sometimes we hold these things in, and the prophet says, let it go. In fact, he, his prayer was that his head were filled with water so that he could continue to weep and to pray. Third, in your brokenheartedness, remember that the Lord hears and heals our broken hearts. The scripture says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalms 18 and 6. That we cry out to him, and he hears us. He says, From his temple, he hears us, and he reaches down to us. Psalms 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. God hears and he heals. And I love the way he words that. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We know that sometimes healing takes time, doesn't it? And he almost paints this picture of being hurt and having ourselves bandaged up while we heal. And that God comes along and he knows that we're brokenhearted. He cares about it. He hears our cries. And he's going to heal that broken heart. But in the process, he binds up these wounds. He takes care of them. Some things are going to hurt for a long time. But that doesn't mean God is not healing. I think sometimes we watch too much television church. And we think that healing takes place like it does on TV, that you walk to a stage and someone slaps you across the face, you fall down and waddle around for a while and get up and you're healed. Sometimes healing takes time. There were a few instances in Scripture where Jesus healed instantaneously. But this morning, as we pray for our brothers and sisters who are sick and dealing with chemo and cancer treatments... Make no mistake, it does not mean God is not healing if it doesn't happen instantly. 
Sometimes healing takes time. And a broken heart sometimes takes time also to be healed. But God comes along every every day and he redresses these wounds for us. And he takes care of us until finally we're healed. Finally, remember that the Lord is able to turn our broken hearts. That even though our hearts have been broken, God can take this and he can turn it around. Ira Stanfield wrote these words, and you'll recognize them. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. The broken heart I had was good for me. He tore it all apart and looked inside. He found it full of fear and foolish pride. He swept away the things that made me blind. And then I saw the clouds were silver lined. And now I understand t'was best for me. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see. He washed my eyes with tears that I might see the glory of himself revealed in me. I did not know that he had wounded hands. I saw the blood he spilt upon the sands. I saw the marks of shame and wept and cried. He was my substitute. For me he died. And now I'm glad he came so tenderly and washed my eyes with tears that I might see. Sometimes it's through our brokenness that God opens our eyes and shows us things. That he does something wonderful in our lives. And so don't ever forget that God can take a broken heart and he can turn it around and he can make it a rejoicing heart. I want to close with one passage. John speaks and he says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then listen to these words. He says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Never, ever forget in your brokenness that one day God will make all things new. One day there will be no tears. There will be nothing to mourn for one day. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. One day there will be no pain. But we live here right now, don't we? And it is impossible to live here and not be brokenhearted from time to time. But remember, God heals the brokenhearted. Do you know Christ is your Savior today? Because the reality is, today, the heart that is broken, if you do not know Christ, is His heart. That God looks down from heaven and He sees you. Amidst millions and millions of people on this earth, He sees you. And the thing is, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And yet, we walk around never acknowledging him, never receiving him, and God, again, sees us headed in the wrong direction. 
And he knows that one day he will return, and that'll be the end of choices. And I can't imagine that his heart is not broken. This morning, if there's a broken heart, it's God for you. Maybe you're here today, and it's time that you give your life to Christ. Maybe you have held out for so long because of brokenness in your own heart. You've never healed over wounds from the past. Maybe you've walked away from God because of hurt. Maybe you've had those feelings that if God loves me, why did I go through this? And if God really cared about me, why did this happen to me? And you've struggled with that for so long. And it has drawn you away from God. It has put a wedge between you and God. But maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is saying, I never stopped loving you. Your heart was broken because you live in a broken world. But I came to heal the brokenhearted. I came to dress those wounds for you and heal you. And maybe this morning God is calling you home. And hey, it's time to come back. Let's stand. Dear God, we thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and the comfort we find in it. And Lord, I know that there are those here that are truly mourning. Their hearts are broken. They've experienced pain and suffering for whatever reason. God, how assuring it is for us to read your word and be assured you love us, you care for us, you see our broken hearts, you hear our cries, and you have something that, God, you can take whatever it is we're faced with now, and you can turn it around. You can open our eyes so that we might.